Let's pray and then we can chatter just a little bit. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares about you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Grant us, O Lord, not to mind earthly things, but to love things heavenly, and while now we dwell among those things that are passing away, to cleave to those that shall abide forever through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Um, does anybody need, uh, the, new, the one you got, just this number two, is a new one. Does anybody need the one from last week? If you just raise your hand, I bet, I bet uh, Josh Gainig, no longer a vicar, would hand them out for you. Can you do that for me? Yep. Thank you. So if you need number one from last week, raise your hand. I'm going to start a, uh, I, I realized something after being here nine years, which is a little spooky, which is um, we've never, you know, we report our Bible class to the district and Senate, and this Bible class has never been reported in nine years because I never took attendance. I never took attendance because it always felt a little like big brother to me, sort of watching you. So, um, but you know, I mean, that's thousands of people who've been here over nine years that we never, so here's the thing, sign in and keep sending out. Last week we sent it, but it stopped at like 27 people, so uh, we did a little better than that, I think. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Uh, look, at, look at the number one one. I'm just, this is still just kind of a setup week, because I want to see if I can, I can try to get you to think a little bit about the church. You know, one of the things is, in fact, if you have a Bible, uh, let's see, spin it open to 2 Corinthians 13.5. 2 Corinthians 13.5. You remember when Paul wrote these letters, <clears throat> there was no end of practical matters uh, being discussed. And we are, you know, in the most practical of all times. One of the great things about St. John uh, I observe this regularly when I'm in meetings and with people. One of the great things about this place is that there's elders is a particularly good example of this, but there are other places where it really, uh, where it really shows itself. It is a common body of doctrine now from which people can draw. You know, churches, churches uh, prosper, <clears throat> not when everybody agrees about everything, strategically, but when they agree about things doctrinally, one of the really interesting things in elders' meetings is to have uh, you know, eight or ten guys who uh, agree on what Christ is up to, and then in the practical matters of trying to figure out what to do, you know, they may or may not agree, which is always very interesting, because while we're very sure about what we want to do doctrinally, you know, every strategic matter is up for grabs, and that's where wisdom comes in. And collectively, that's what a church is meant to do. If a church gets stalled out at the wisdom, or, I'm sorry, at the doctrine point, they never do very well with the strategic things. But if they can get the do doctrinal stuff solid, then uh, life in the church can be a blast because uh, Everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope. Listen to this. <clears throat> Everybody likes a mission statement, right? <clears throat> to see if you could embrace this for St. John. <clears throat> By the way, I'm going to be in touch with my feminine side as I go through this. <clears throat> touch it. Feel it. Form a bond with this place and the people who live here. One of the many people bound to this place by their love and all that it embodies. Become a friend here. 
What do you say, could you go with that? <clears throat> yeah, that's a mission statement from a bottle of scotch I opened last night. <laughs> <laughs> We're at dinner last night, I opened this bottle of scotch and I said, oh, look, it comes with directions, that's never happened before. Then I handed it to Arthur, he reads it, to touch it, feel the earth, form a bond with this place and the people who live here, one with the many people bound to this place by their love of Lefroy whiskey. And all that it embodies become a friend of <clears throat> St. John Lefroy. There's no point in teaching a Bible study when you already have that written down. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know if a bottle of scotch can do that much, uh, you know, what could the Lord do? So I just, I, just, I just sort of put that to you, you know. The Lord, you know, he provides in so many different ways. So, uh, I know, it's very weird, isn't it? I can't wait till this goes on the internet site. It was brilliant. Thank you very much for asking, by the way. It was a brilliant bottle of scotch. Yeah, it was great. Okay, it was, it was a gift from the gaining child's baptism. Uh, so we, that's what we remember about the gaining child. <laughs> <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a great bottle of scotch in the end, which is a good way of being Lutheran, you know. The, the Lord's gifts received as they're received. Uh, okay, 2 Corinthians, what did I say? 13.5, is that what I said? Okay, 13.5. This is just really good stuff. I'm getting older. I've got to pull this up higher now. Examine yourselves... And now you've got you to remember that Paul is saying this in a, this is the non-cranky Corinthians letter. So Paul is saying this to people that he has, you know, had some troubles with, but he really loves them and he wants them to flourish. And he's saying things like, you know, I don't want to be cranky when I come again. We've had a cranky period. Come on, let's go. Let's be the church. What could this be like? I can't wait to see you again. I've been there a couple of times. I hope to get back. Okay, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now I just want to observe for you that that is the same word that appeared in Philippians 1 a couple of years ago when he wrote to the Philippians, do what's best. And the way that you determine what's best is by way of agape, selfless love, selfless giving, <clears throat> and a deep spiritual wisdom or maturity that tests things out. And then the discipline to obey what is tested out. Same word. So now you've got two different congregations living by the same thing. And I would suggest to you that this is our ongoing and frankly rather happy task here. Which is one of the great things about St. John. I mean, uh, what, was, what was the dwarf's name today? Somebody get that? Abba John. This is the only church in the Missouri Senate this morning that made mention of Abba John the Dwarf. Now, see, did you see it in your margin comments? Yes. Now, you have to have a certain sort of sophistication of people who come to, to sort of love Ephraim and Abba John, you know. I mean, there's something about you over the years that you've, you've grown into this common body uh, of doctrine. Now, there's two things you need to do with that. One is you always need to test yourselves, examine yourselves, and make sure that you are lined up inside the walls of this sanctuary, inside the creed, inside the doctrine of the church, inside the scriptures, inside Christ. That's the first thing that always needs to be done. 
And real honestly, we learn from people wiser than us as we go, like Abba John, you know. We learn from people as we go. The second thing is, though, I mean, those guys lived, uh, you know, 1,600 years ago. You know, 1,200 years ago. They don't have our issues right in front of them. We need to be wise enough as we go to figure out what to do. And I would suggest to you, at least I'm going to try to suggest to you in this Bible study for the next couple of weeks, what's really important in this place is to rejoice in the sense of community that Christ brings. And there are all sorts of things. In so many ways, we've worked against ourselves over the past few years, you know, by not having enough places to sit, by having an odd schedule, by working the staff, you know, pretty hard, by frustrating people when they can't park. Those are things that have worked against community by not having a big space where you can all stand around and chatter. One of the most remarkable things about you is after a service, when there's time, how everybody stands up but doesn't leave if there's not another thing. That's an amazingly positive sign in the church. The thing for us is now, with a move on the way and rethinking you know, how, how the school you know, will look with more space and more possibility and you know, what the church could look like, the real question, I think, for us is to find you know, real honestly, the sort of community where people feel a bond, where they feel included, where they feel as if these people are their friends, not always because they agree on all things, things strategic. Um, some kid asked me the other day if I was a Republican or a Democrat, and I said, it's best, that's the sort of thing you should never know about your pastor. You, you can know other things about him, but you know, well, how often he prays, that would be a legitimate question. But, um, you know, because that, that's a principled thing. But a strategic thing, you know, this is a place where you all can rejoice, agreed upon the issues of faith, and then you really need to put your heads together to figure out which way to go. And pastors, this is just an important way of how to use pastors. Pastors, you know, are um, great for doctrine, but less great for strategy. Uh, and, and the more that the lay folks can among themselves bring every gift they have to bear into the service of the gospel, not crush the gospel, not roll over it like a steamroller, not assert themselves, but bring their gifts to bear. And we have such a strong tradition of that here at St. John. People who lead here in governing board and elders and people on staff, they really do have the sense that the gospel is the primary factor here. And now the goal you see, and it's always the goal, is to bring more and more of your skills into play as we do the next thing. Uh, it's extraordinarily important for that to happen. However, that doesn't happen by accident. And now I'm going to spin you back and quickly take you through to what I did last week, okay? So if you've got number one in front of you, here's what you need to do. And you can't avoid this. To be in the church is to do what 1 Corinthians 13:5 says that you are meant to examine yourselves over and over again, examine yourselves to see whether you're still in the faith. Test yourselves to see that what you do promotes the faith. Okay? Do not, don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And, of course, what we don't want to do is fail the test. Jesus will come back again, uh, and he'll be wondering what we were up to. I'd like to have, you know... I'd like to be able to give them a good report. So where are we today? I'm going to go very quickly through the one that says number one. Where we are today and what our future together can be. So what we need to do is look at ourselves, look at this place, and then say to ourselves, 
You know, what's the most that we can do? And certainly do nothing less. What's the best that we can do by way of love and insight and obedience, you see? And the thing I particularly want to focus you on and be, and be stronger on is um, I want to work on building, understanding, and then building the sense of community and what that means. Uh, one of the interesting, you know, one of the things, you know, we haven't done well probably is we've always put everybody in a rush about things. And maybe that's not so good, and we're trying to figure out how to do this. To carry on in this way, to live within the community that God gives, and I want to say it in that way because that's the way that Scripture talks. You know, later, you know, what I'll say to you is one of the first things that we need to learn about this is not that you do it, but that God does it. We'll talk about how that happens and then what sort of implications that has for us would have for us in our life together. You really need to drop the resume think way of thinking about your life and adopt a biblical approach of way of thinking. And I did this with you last week a little bit. That you normally, if I say, uh, who are you and what do you do? You tell me, I do this and I do that and I've done this and I've done that and I graduate from here and I move over there and I live over there and I vacation over there and I, 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 which is how we talk. In the biblical world, they would not have spoken in such a way. One was identified by their community, by their family, village, tribe, God. And what I hope then is you can begin to think of yourself not in a 21st century individualized way. It's all about me, but in a way where you first speak about yourself. It would be very interesting to hear you say, as the first thing out of your mouth, somebody says, who are you? You said, uh, member of St. John, that's who I am. Now, one of the interesting things about, um, you know, they're on the, in the church there's always these fringy elements, and you have to pay attention to them because the fringy elements tell you, they're like a report card for normal church folk, and they sort of tell you um, where you've missed the target. You know, the fringy elements in the church right now, what they seek is a deep sense of mystery and community. Now this won't, you know, hit the mainline church body for 20 years and it won't hit the Missouri Senate for, oh, I don't know, 50 years. But nevertheless, you know, it's not bad to be first once in a while. You know, what people want, if you talk to kids, if you talk to postmoderns, if you talk to post-postmoderns, if you talk to emergent church people, if you listen to what they say, if you read what they write, what people are looking for is a rich, thick, encompassing, relevant, mysterious life in community. Okay, it's very different than what even what you see on TV or what you hear. That's always just a little bit behind. You know, that's when, when, uh, so the next generation is telling you, you know, my generation mouths, it's not all, it's, it's, it's not all about you. The next generation, the youngest generations, are actually living. It's not about me. I want to. The world is this place where no truth is certain, where no boundaries for nations are certain, where um, politics are unreliable, where glaciers are melting, where there's not enough oil, where I don't know if I'll get a job, where I don't know if I'll be drafted, where there's nothing to hold on to, where I don't understand my parents, where I really don't like my school, and I don't really know what my future is. 
And honest to God, isn't there some place where I could have something that looked like an embracing, relevant community where, frankly, I would be loved, not be alone, be protected, and allowed to flourish? If the church, this church, can deliver that, you won't be able to keep people out. If it can't deliver that, um, you won't be able to keep people in. Okay, so you need to, you, we need to think that through. Now the good news is that's precisely um, what a church that is committed to commitment, if you permit me to say it that way, or which, it, which demands a high level of commitment and delivers that through the best of what the church has had for the last two or 4,000 years, and then always the best new thing. Those are the kind of churches that are gonna survive and flourish in the future. So the strategic question for us is given that's what community looks like in the scriptures, and we just happen to live at this time where people uh, who are extraordinarily interested in God are demanding precisely the same thing, wouldn't it be um, faithful of us to be able to put those two things together? And see, so, yeah, all of that is far beyond saying, you know, we're going to be in this building or that building. Is the church at the school going to be in one location or two locations? You know, we're going to sell land over there. We're going to knock this down and build a senior care. I mean, those are all you know, strategic things. Doctrinally, the question is, have we provided the sort of space that Jesus and St. Paul speak about? A place where the mystery of God is lived out in community. That's the question. Okay, so that's what you're aiming at. That's what you, and the first way to do that is point number two, which is we need to say we, not I. We, learned, we need to learn to think we, not I. Now, point three, I sort of gave you that last week. You're not your own. You, you know, you, know you, you sort of, and I, I said something last week, and I, I, then I found a text for it later. I, I said, uh, I, should, I should have given you the text way earlier. I, I said, I said um, the, 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 most, the point where I seemed to get the most raised eyebrows last week was the point where I said um, that you belong first to the community and second to me uh, and then to yourself. And, that, and there was, you know, sometimes when you're standing in front of people and you, that you see their eyes cross, um, then you sort of wonder, well, did I, did I get past the edge there? But um, Romans 12, 5, and you remember that Romans <clears throat> is a brilliant bit, first about being damned and then about being saved, and then about being saved through baptism. Uh, and ultimately about what a baptized life would look like. So you get all the way to chapter 12, present your body as a living sacrifice. But then look what that means in Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we who are many, and there is no denying that we are many, you know, we're many, we are individuals, we are many, right? That we who are many form one body, there it is, and later, what I'm going to suggest to you is that is not metaphor. What is meant there is the literal but mystical, the literal but sacramental body of Jesus Christ 
in flesh and blood, present on earth, here and now. Okay, I'm just telling you in advance where I'm going. That's what the text says. The text is not speaking metaphor here. There's, you know, 15 other texts to talk about on our way there. But what's being talked about here is that we who are many are one body. You are the body of Christ, and are means are, is means is. You are the body of Christ, and each member belongs to all the others. So it is impossible for you to say, I, in this congregation. Now, it's a bit, little bit of, uh, as a therapist would say, emotional overstatement. But nevertheless, one's first word would not be I in the congregation. One's first word in the congregation would be we. This is who we are. This is what's done for us here. If we need to say I, then we say uh, Christ. Christ is the I, and we who are many, his body are the we. This is why American Christianity has been so uh, detrimental to biblical Christianity, because American Christianity is so much about being personal and being private. You know, they're like any heresy, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons you can appreciate heresy, because there's always some grain of truth in, them, in it. But like any heresy to say, um, when people are always quizzing about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, um, it's as if that happens outside the body, and it becomes a very private relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, of course, the, the sacraments and word are applied to people individually, on your tongue, on your skin, in your ear, yes. But in America, too easily, that becomes the end of the matter, not the beginning, okay? So I need to begin to think about my life as uh, belonging to you, and you need to think about your life as belonging to me, and I need to think about my life as belonging to you, each and every one of you, and you need to think about your life as belonging to everybody else here, each and every one, before it belongs to yourself. Which I think is what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Or when Paul writes, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, glorify God in your body. Your body within his body, your temple within his temple. That's what they're tracking. And when churches live that way, when churches have this rich, thick, theological understanding of themselves, I mean, you can just, you can walk into a room and you can feel it. You can feel that people are connected on a, on a deeper level than their personal preference. You're all free to have your personal preference about all sorts of things, except about the doctrine of God. And then, maybe beyond that, except how the body together decides how to work things out, and how the body together decides to work things out by paying attention to those who are wisest and best most mature and most obedient, which is why the scriptures regularly appeal to old women who should raise up young women and old men who should raise up young men. You see how this all works together? And the good news is we're at a point in our life together where there is enough firm doctrine and enough common understanding that we have the ability then to live within that community and to have that kind of community flourish. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to set the question for you in a couple of ways. One is, uh, and I gave you the thing on heaven come to earth, you know, the Russian church and how the Russians became Christian. I gave you that handout last week. I'm at point five here. But I want to ask you, and, and I wonder if you could, so many things I'm going to ask you to suspend your judgment for a while. You may be right, but I just, I just one of the ways you examine yourself, I don't know, um, you know, one of the ways you examine, think about when you go for your physical, if you go for your physical. You know, the doctor, of course, always does say what's, what, what's probably not working so well. But then a good doctor examines every last thing you've got. He has to suspend the belief that you're healthy in order to find out where he might be able to help. That's not a criticism of you when you go in for your physical. It is an honest self-examination, the kind that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Okay, for us too. I've tried to set the question in some different ways, like, if God were here, what would God be doing? Or when God is doing church at his best, what does it look like? Or if God were having his best possible use of you, what would that mean for you in this community? So if God were here, what would he be doing? And if God were here, what would you be doing? And then as a reminder, if you flip the page, and I, I'm sorry, I got the French, uh, I got the, if you have one from this week, I got the French uh, accents in and then my uh, Greek accents fell out, so I apologize for that, but you could mark them in yourselves. Um, you know, Ecclesia, the church from Kaleo to call out. So if God's interested in naming you as his church, and already you should have a clue in that, that he names you, you know, we tell you when you're in, we tell you when you're out. If he names you, you should have a different kind of life, and this idea of koinonia, which is, um, that goes into Latin as communio, which comes into um, English as communion and community. Only in Greek, in the scriptural way of speaking about it, it means actually to share in a common thing. See, so God does a thing and now you're invited to share in that. So part of our responsibility, it would seem, is that we make sure that we're always doing the God things here. And if we do the God things well enough, here's the payoff, if we do the God things well enough, um, then the community flourishes almost automatically. The way Jesus told about the kingdom of God is like planting seeds and they grow up and you don't know how it happened. All you know is that you planted the seeds properly. So we'll come back to both of those things the uh, ecclesia and also koinonia. We'll come back to those things. And now I'm at eight <clears throat> on the first one. I think that everything I'm going to say in the next few weeks can be put under four headings, okay? But I don't, I haven't quite figured out. I'm kind of a linear guy when it comes to, to, to thinking and studying. My A goes before my B goes before my C goes in a row. You know, I don't know if that's the best way to talk about this, but I'm suggesting to you that there are, haven't thought about this for a while now, I think there's four things. I think everything I want to say about this can, be, can come under four headings, okay? One is that Christ is present. And uh, I'm just going to put that out there. I don't know that everybody in, you know, certainly not everybody in Wheaton and maybe all of us don't share the same understanding of Christ's presence in this place. To ask you if Christ were here, how would you act is a real question. Because you know what? Christ is here. So now how are you going to act? 
So we need to think about what it means for Christ to be present among us. Now, second, Christ embodies God, which I presume will not draw a lot of um, pushback. But I think we really should talk about what it means for Christ to embody God. Because everything, you know, every, you know, every year when we get the new gospel of Judas, you know, or whatever the new gospel is, the suggestion always in those new gospels is that Christ is not God. Christ does not embody God. That it is not embodied in this place. The next one may be even more of a stretch as we go, which is that Christ embodies us. Now, I've said this to you in different ways, normally as a tagline for the sacraments. But I really just kind of think about your engagements in this place in the last week and the last month, okay? Just think about your engagements with people at St. John, and then also think about your engagements with people outside St. John. So just think about those two things for a moment. Okay, now just ask yourself, this comes under the 1 Corinthians, examine yourself, discern, you know, think clearly. We're trying to do what's best. So be honest and say to yourself, in those engagements in this place and outside this place, was it clear that Christ is present, Christ embodies God, and particularly that Christ embodies us? You know, with every word that's spoken, with every relationship that is engaged, is it clear in the way that we deal with each other that Christ is present, that Christ embodies God, and that Christ embodies us? When you look at people, and now you can pick your spouse, you can take your kids, you can take your best friend here or your worst enemy. Take the people that you agree with, take the people that you disagree with. The relationship the foundation of those relationships remained the same. That Christ is present, that Christ embodies God, that Christ embodies us, which means Christ embodies, he takes that person into his body and he takes you into his body and to do any damage in any way is to damage the body of Christ. And now, here's the hard bit, you actually have to figure out in your own life what is it that does damage and what doesn't. And part of the problem is, and now you can think about how you parent and I parent and how you were parented. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Like, as parents, you know, we, some, we sometimes do our greatest damage when we're trying to do our best good, right? Yeah. Or sometimes we're horribly indulgent. Do we help the body of Christ when we tell people that anything they do all the time is okay? Or do we step outside the do we step outside the faith that Paul talks about at that point? So is the church an anything goes kind of place or, or not? And if it's not an anything goes kind of place, how is it that we can speak so that people can hear? And how is it that what we speak is objectively true? And then how can things be objectively repented for and objectively forgiven? How can that happen? And then how can people sort of carry on together? And, and when do you speak and when do you don't? And what's the difference between secrecy and privacy? 
You can always tell the devil's work when it's done in secret. When what people say is in secret, that's the devil's work. Always. Jesus speaks about that as a synonym for darkness. However, there are things that are private, like private confession and private absolution. And that's a different matter because what, 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 what in privacy, one brings uh, things to light before God and those involved for healing. In secrecy, one keeps in darkness um, things uh, that aren't true and are meant to be hurtful. So now you think about life together in the church. What does that mean? You see, it's all the most practical things. And now, you know, think about the next set of relationships I talk about, all the relationships outside. So now begin to think about that the Lord actually does have a plan and that you're it. And that most people, you know, I can't remember the exact number, it's 60 or 70% of people, join the church because somebody in the church said, my church is great. They come to a Christian school because somebody says, my school is, gr or, my school is great. So now think about that. Now think about your other relationships, not outside this place, think, not inside this place, think outside this place and ask yourself, in your relationship with other people, the way you talk about the school, the way you talk about the church, the way you talk about your congregational members of the same body, the way you talk about us, we, Christ. Is it the sort of talk that makes people yearn for, or maybe I should say better, satisfies that which they most yearn for, that which is solid and safe and loving and communal. Now, the thing, you know, the danger of, of talking this way is that you'll all leave, I fear, and just, just sort of nod along. Well, of course, of course, you know. But I'm not just interested at the nod along point. You know, uh, at the end of the day, the life that's given within the body of Christ extends itself in acts of mercy and words of witness. It's very interesting. Well, this is why the lectionary is so helpful that last week, you remember, in John 6, you're watching Jesus decide what kind of church that he wants. And the kind of church that Jesus wants he makes very clear what he wants is a church that is rich, thick, deep, communal, sacramental, typological, tied starting at one end of history and going to the marriage feast that has no end, and he intends to connect all the dots and bring everybody together. Now you're going to hear a couple of Gospels in a row where Jesus himself does what he's looking for. In the Gospel for today and the Gospel for next week, what you see is Jesus who shows us how such a church is built. It is built through acts of mercy, words of witness, and constant care of the soul. That's how it's built. That's how Jesus gets the church he wants. Now the question is, are we in on that? And I don't mean in a nodding way, because acts of mercy are not ideas, they're not concepts. They're hard, on the ground, this is what we do. Words of wisdom are not, not meant for books. They're meant for people, born by the Holy Spirit to draw them in. Care of the soul is the ongoing, honest process of self-examination, repentance, rejoicing, forgiveness, and strengthening done in memory of baptism by the delivery of absolution and with the body and blood, Christ present here on your tongue for you. 
know, the great danger is we think we know this. And the great danger for a congregation like this is you actually do know this. The great danger is only in knowing it. In the scriptures, you can't separate hand and heart. That's one of the things that makes the Lord crankiest in the Old Testament. So I know that you know it. After nine years of being together, I know that you know it. That's not the point now. Once you know it, the next point is, what does that mean for us in very practical ways? How do we affect that in this place? That's the question. So I think then, then that pushes me then, you see, to the fourth point. Christ moves us to do what we could not and would not do without him. Now, Jesus is, Christ just pushes you that way. Let me then say, um, I'll give you 10 and 11 because I didn't do it, and then we just have to stop because we've got a baby that needs the water and the name. You would be careful, if you think carefully, now you shouldn't run out now and, and sort of be denigrating of people's individuality. It's just that the way our culture works, it's swung a bit too far in the way of that. But you never want to play individuality and community off against each other. There are no individual Christians without community. That's why, that's why there aren't private baptisms or private holy suppers except in emergencies. The common way to initiate people into the common life is in public. You know, you're in. You're going to say it again if you come at 11.15. We welcome you into the body of Christ. We receive you as a, as a child of our same Heavenly Father to work with us in his kingdom. See that? Words of witness, acts of mercy. Here we go. We'll care for your soul. <coughs> and before you run out and um, start a committee, I just want you to remember that it is God who makes community. If you make community... I mean, there are all places, you, all kinds of places you make community. The Chamber of Commerce, the Rotary Club, your golf league, the people you lunch with at work. You make community all sorts of places. You don't make community here. God makes community. And he does that by making each one of you individuals part of the body of Christ. And then regularly re reviewing with you what it means to be part of that body acts of mercy, words of witness, and care of the soul. You should also remember um, there's no community without individual Christians. At the end of the day, things will be sorted out individually. And you must always be or have a watchful eye <coughs> on your particular community. That, as St. Paul says, you examine yourself. One of the worst mistakes a church can make is to presume that a vote settles anything. Doctrinally, I speak of doc, uh, doctrinal things. Um, the scriptures settle things. And occasionally, people need um, the few lone, mature, best, wise, obedient voices to say, hey, that's not us. That's not what the Lord bids. And nudges, it's time to nudge you back on the track. This is the last thing. <clears throat> Eleven. Don't play quality off against quantity. And you heard that in John 6 two weeks ago, too. Um, I don't know if it's possible to have both a very large church and a very faithful church. I don't know if it's possible. I mean, I, theoretically it's possible, but one of the things I've learned you know, over the years of being uh, 
a pastor is what I've hoped for very often theoretically or what I know is possible because I have such confidence in Christ and what he does through his word and sacraments. What I know to be possible is very often frustrated in execution. So there is a live question about <clears throat> how good you can be and how big you can be at the same time. There is a live question about how care of the soul works its way into acts of mercy and words of witness as things get bigger. You see, so you have two things you need to manage here. You have to manage the Lord's, people who argue against a bigger church in some way, okay, people who argue against a bigger church in some way haven't really listened to Jesus. Jesus' bidding is go make disciples. Make the church big. It doesn't mean necessarily this church here, but it means extend the church throughout the world. So we cannot be inward focused. We are inward focused and then outward focused. And if you're not outward focused, you actually don't understand what's being focused on inside. But one must be clever then about how to provide a place that is thick, rich, dense, sacramental, typological, thorough, doctrinal, self-examining, faithfully delivering what God intends as it grows and becomes community. The question is how to manage a community for its best use. <clears throat> so there it is. <coughs> now I got you know half as far as I thought I was going to go. But um, maybe we come back next week and the Lord will be there once again. All right, thanks. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.